Hello and welcome to the Databusters podcast, the podcast for all things school data. Now with the nights drawing in and the unmentionable seaward on the horizon, it's that time of year when we plan for the dark and gloomy days ahead. So thank you for joining us as we help you to make sense of the information mountain which forms in schools. This month we'll be taking a deep dive, uh, yes we're not ones that let a cracking bit of jargon pass us by, into attainment and progress measures in primary education, considering the tricky question of who's in and who's out of statutory data. We're also going to be looking at what everyone needs to know about confidence quintiles. I'm Richard Selfridge, author of Data Busting for Schools, and joining me, as always, is Jamie Pembroke, data buster extraordinaire, insight facilitator, and all-round data guru. Hello, Jamie. All right, mate. How are you? Uh, very well. Not too bad at all. Good, good. Um, looking forward to following up a few things from last month's podcast and getting stuck into what we're going to be talking about today. Um, yes. So from last month, obviously, we've been talking about the inspection framework, um, where there's obviously uh, considerably less of a focus on school-generated in-year data. And yes. schools seem to be welcoming that a lot. Um, but again, as ever, there's a bit of evidence that statutory data, that still seems to be quite directly linked to overall Ofsted grading. Yes. Um, Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think you, you pointed out um, Ian's uh, blog post, didn't you, recently? Exactly. Yeah. Ian Stokes, yeah. who's, again, if you don't follow him, everybody, have a look out for Ian Stokes on Twitter. Always very useful. Um, him, he's based up here in Leeds. Um, he's done some digging. He wrote a piece um, which was, uh, are Ofsted still judging by numbers? And it seems the answer is is kind of a yes. Um, he said in the piece, from what I've seen so far, there's a very clear link between schools' historic progress figures and their inspection outcomes under the new framework. Which I yeah. guess we probably shouldn't be massively surprised by. I mean, if you've got yeah. if, if the numbers are are you know very much extreme, then people are going to yeah. um, make assumptions. But I think the thing there is again that you know a good school will will have a, a very good understanding of. Um, of its data and be able to talk inspectors through that. Again, obviously, if you're at the extremes, it would appear from the evidence so far um, that uh, it's it, it's a harder conversation. Yeah, well, I, I think that, it, it, well, it's, it's inevitable, isn't it? Uh, mm. that, it is, that it's going to be not entirely based on results, but those results are going to play, play a really important part of the inspection process. And if you think yeah. about uh, the, the opposite ends of the spectrum, so inadequate mm. at one end and outstanding at the other, yeah. It, it, it sort of kind of makes sense that that would be the bottom and top 10% of schools. Yeah. Uh, and that looks like where it's kind of heading. Well, actually, outstanding. Yeah, probably mm. about the top 10% of schools. And of course, they do have these progress measures where they have a, a, that, that sort of well above average band, yeah. which is the, the, those schools that are significantly above uh, and in the top 10% nationally. So, uh, and I guess they're the ones that have got the, 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 the biggest chance, the biggest shout of being outstanding. Mm. Uh, inadequate, that's a very small percentage, but then obviously you've got RI schools as well. Mm. And those schools, I suppose, are generally going to be those ones that have uh, pr particularly progress measures that are uh, significantly below. Uh, it is important to note that um, in, in terms of primary, it's about, oh, what is it, 20% uh, of schools are significantly below yeah. and about 20% yeah. of schools are significantly above. And in secondary, mm. I think we talked about this last time, it's mm. about 30% that are significantly below and 30% <laughs> that are significantly above. And exactly. it's, not that, it's not those percentages that are 
um, being uh, sort of made, being, being judged as requires improvement plus uh, mm. inadequate or, or at the other end, outstanding. So it doesn't entirely follow um, that. I mean, it is about, uh, in terms of primary, it's about 80 odd percent of schools are um, good or outstanding. Um, and therefore, a big wedge of those schools that are good or outstanding are, uh, have, have progress scores that are below average, mm. obviously. Mm. Yeah, exactly. It's not entirely, but when you plot out, and I did this quite recently, when you plot out um, grade against outcome, against progress eight scores, or grade against percentage achieving expected standards, that mm. there is a pattern there, there is a correlation, isn't there? Exactly. Which is why, again, we're going to talk about progress measures and, um, and who's in and who's out a little bit. Um, well, yes. A bit later on, which well, yes. is such a big thing. Well, I, it I is, think, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, the other thing that's come through from the inspection framework, again, there's been quite a big discussion, particularly in the primary sector, about um, workload implications. Primary schools, they, they, they are saying that they think that the, uh, the, the, from, the framework is secondary, uh, secondary focused. And Mary Bowsted uh, of the NEU, the Joint General Secretary, yes. she wrote a piece in TES um, talking about, uh, she said that primary teachers are drowning in workload, uh, a workload tsunami. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, th I think there's this fear of, um, th 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 well, they're trying to say that workload will be reduced because we don't expect you to produce all this data broken down by every subject and subgroup you can possibly imagine mm. now. But but then we're going to do these so-called deep dives into the curriculum. So uh, exactly. you're, 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 you've got a tight, you've got a little primary school or even an average sized primary school where they may mm. not have the resources to prepare for these things. These so-called, you know, these 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 yeah. deep dives and make sure that everyone's on message and everyone's like really, really. Yeah, got their uh, got got their sort of curriculum knowledge on on point, so they can talk about yeah. every aspect of the curriculum and answer all those really mm. difficult questions. So I think there is that fear that that workload has mm. shifted away from data into this kind of deep dive curriculum yeah. thing. And um, it's interesting, particularly because in in secondary, you know, you've got departments, you've got you, you've got people whose actual job is to focus on the curriculum. Yes, that's of being course. Taught, yeah, really, yeah. yeah. You've got heads of department, in, and you've got some subject specialists and. And, and in primary schools, you don't. And, and of course, if you've got a, a small primary school, um, mm. then that's going to be really difficult. I think there is, yeah, there is a fear. There is a, there is a fear there that the workload is just shifted from one place to another. As Mary said in her piece, she said that uh, primary teachers are being asked to produce paperwork to document the intent, implementation and impact of the curriculum area they lead without any time or management responsibility to do that. Certainly that's my experience, you know, as a primary school teacher, because you're often asked to lead subject areas, which you're more than happy to do most of the time, although you're not paid to do that you're not given much if any additional time to do that so it's very difficult for you to properly manage that i think it's again slightly outside of our remit it's not yeah, data yeah. but it is you know we're going through that process aren't we but, but I, yeah i would, I would say that there, there definitely has been in the conversations i've had recently with schools that have been inspected they have yeah. they have reported they've they fed back that you know, there's just been zero interest in internal data so yeah. that that is definitely something that is is playing out so yes yeah, exactly. From a data point of view, again, there's, there's some, uh, some good things going on there. But again, there are wider workload issues. Um, and in terms of progress, we're, um, we're going to have a look at uh, progress issues in secondary next month. Yes, uh, we are. 
So Jamie, let's take a good look at statutory attainment and progress measures in primary education. And to be clear, we're looking at the attainment information which schools they have to provide for children aged seven and in year two and aged 11, year six, which is then used to create progress measures used to hold primary schools to account and to create a baseline for secondary progress measures. Now we looked at this last month. So this month, we're gonna take a closer look at the pupils whose attainment data is used to create progress measures, who's actually including the calculations and who's not. Yes. Yes. So so last month we looked at some of the problems around the way that they calculate these measures uh, and, and sort of the confidence intervals and the statistical significance and uh, that sort of thing and, and how they produce these nice, big, bright flashing lights. And suddenly you're an orange school or a yellow or a green school and, and the impact that can have on the perception of the school when it's put out there in the public domain. So I think mm. what, what, yeah, what we're going to talk about here is children that are included in those measures and children that aren't and how schools can uh, have children discounted from measures um, mm. and how, well, some schools can get children discounted. It's actually pretty difficult. Um, mm. But there are some weird little quirks in the data that can affect there are, those aren't there? Uh, outcomes. You can look at... You can look at examples. So, you know, for example, um, a child maybe in year six and they get to, I don't know, let's say February, March, year six, um, and then they become incredibly ill. And then they take a lot of time out of school and they um, struggle to access the curriculum, but they may come back into school. They may take the tests, and um, but they may not do as well as the school um, expected them to. Uh, so schools at that point must, they need to have some kind of mechanism so that they, they can um, disapply those children or they can, they can account for the fact that the child's um, results are not what they'd expect them to be. Yeah. So there are options, aren't there? Yeah. So, um, right. Let's start with attainment then at key stage two. Uh, there is a, a mechanism to get to, to, that, that schools can, can, can essentially, they can apply to have a child discounted. Mm. Um, so uh, the child might uh, sit the test. And then afterwards, yeah. the school can look at that data in the checking exercise uh, and they can say, well, that that doesn't look great. Um, now, obviously, there's lots of children who don't have very good scores and you can't get them discounted. Yeah. But there are some children uh, that, you, that you can you can apply for this. And the, and, and the, the, the main one, those, those children that are recent arrivals from overseas, uh, yeah. whom English is an additional language and they're coming from a country where English is not a main language, you know. So, sure. so if you have, if they've arrived in the last two years, they've not been to another school before, you can, you can apply uh, through the checking exercise to have those removed. And a lot of schools do successfully manage. There is an mm. other category uh, where if you do have children that, um, like, like, for example, actually a child that you, you, you've just described there, who, who in, mm. in, in that case, they probably wouldn't sit the test, but they might actually sit the test and do, uh, not very well for whatever reason. There is an exactly. other category where you can apply to have children. You have to present sort of uh, provide evidence as well as to why you'd want those removed. Uh, I don't think there are many schools that are successful in in getting children removed using that other um, via that other category. Uh, so I ha I have heard some pretty sad stories of children who've mm. had quite traumatic experiences and therefore mm. end up you know trying to do the test not doing very well. Um, uh, now, if they miss a test, um, then they mm. won't end up. So you might not do all the tests that are available. Uh, you might just mm. do one of them that won't generate a full scaled score. They'll get a raw score for that test, but it won't be converted to a scaled score. And then they, they won't be uh, included. Um, exactly. And I've taught children in year six where you, you, uh, every year something unusual happens. 
happened. You know, so a, a child will break their arm. We had one child who broke both wrists wow. about three weeks before. Yes. Um, and, you know, and therefore wasn't able to access the test um, without a scribe. So needed a scribe to um, assist them. So they couldn't write, but the scribe could write for them. And the child, again, taking the assessment, was not able to, well, just didn't reach the level which we thought that they were able to, that we'd expected. Fine. Mm. So there is, because there is, a, there are a few kind of weird little codes, you know, there's, yeah. um, uh, that you can use. And, and if you look in like the assessment um, and reporting arrangements documents, they, they describe some of these things. Uh, so there's, there's, a, there's one, one of the codes that you can use is a U code, which means unable to access the test. Um, so there may be children, for whatever reason, just can't access it. Um, they may be academically capable of, of like answering. The, it, it's I'm not I'm not entirely sure when these are used, you know. But there is a U code, which means unable to access the test. Yeah. Um, so uh, the but that so that's one. Now one of the really interesting things to check out is the Key Stage Two Ready Reckoner tool. So if you go onto the DFE website and download the Ready Reckoner. Yeah, um, you can put in some key stage one data. Oh, that's another thing, of course. A child has to have key stage one data to be included in a progress measure, right? Absolutely. If yes. there's no it's key stage one data, <laughs> they can't be. Yep. So if they were not assessed at key stage one, for example, they were outside of the country at that point, they were in a private school, they were home educated, uh, they just happened to be on, a, a, on a, an extended holiday during the time that key stage one, data, whatever, they haven't got key stage one, they're not included. So, uh, and of course, that, that's, that's sort of reasonably common. So anyway, you can go into the Ready Reckon, you can put in some key stage one, just mock it up, just put in some two Bs. Now, obviously, I know levels aren't a thing anymore, but that applies to pre mm. last year. So you put in that they, they got in key stage one. And then you can go onto the next tab, which is what they got at key stage two. And you can select various codes. Now, normally, we'd be putting in a scaled score mm. because they've got a scaled score. In nine times yeah. out of 10, they'll have a scaled score. There'll be some children who are below the standard of the test and in those cases, most of the time, we'll be put in a pre-key stage assessment. And a pre-key stage right. assessment attracts a nominal score. And the nominal score yeah. is used in the progress measure. Okay? Mm. The weird thing about the nominal scores is they're only used in the progress measure. They're not used in the calculation of average scaled scores. Yeah, that, and schools should know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So here's a weird... So, so I get asked, like, what happens? What happens if this child is entered for the test or not entered for the test? What happens? Well, if they're not entered mm. for the test, then the highest score they can get is a nominal score of 79. If they are entered for the test, then they could get a scaled score. You know, they could answer a few questions right and get 80 or 81 or 82. <laughs> now, that difference between 79 and 80, one-point difference... Yeah on an aggregated progress score is going to make no difference at all. But hmm. the difference is, if they get 79, that's a nominal score, that is not used. It's used in the progress measure, but not used in the average scaled score. Hmm. If they get 80, it's used in both. So suddenly you've got hmm. a child who sits the test. They get 80. That mm -hmm. 80 is used in your average scale score, and it will drop it. Because 80 yeah, will because have quite a big impact on an average it's score. It's the lowest scale score that can be awarded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, than, if they you know, don't yeah, get enough marks to get a scale, so they sit the test and they don't get enough mm. marks to get a scaled score, they go back down to 79. They're given yeah. a nominal score. So you sat the test, you only got two marks on the test, we're just going to give you a nominal score of 79. So in terms of the mm. average scale score measure, you are mm. better off not entering them or hoping they don't get enough marks. It's just a, a weird 
um, quirk of the system that they don't they use the nominal scores for the progress measures, but they don't use them for the average scale score measure. So in terms of the average scale score measure, a school would benefit from not entering for test or hoping if they do sit it, they don't score enough marks to get a scale score, which is crazy. Um, sure. But the difference in getting 79 and 80 in terms of the progress measure is, is tiny. But actually, yeah. you know, they are supposed to. It, the guidance is quite clear. If, if the child can access the test, they should do the test. Yep. Even if it means they can only get one or two questions right, they can access it, they should do it. And most schools will enter them. But I guess some schools will think, well, let's weigh up the options here. Yeah. Um, and, but, that's, and it's probably worth, again, as if you're a school and if somebody comes in and asks you, why is your average score so low? You can say, well, look, the guidance is that, that we should enter into the scores. And the, we did do that. They might have a low score, um, that's which affects us, and we can clarify the difference between where they work um, as to what we thought they were going to do. And that might make a small difference, but those small just changes, they might come up as flags. Well, I suppose. I mean, if, if you think about a smaller school, uh, mm. like just, just uh, uh, 10, 15 children in a cohort, um, and most yeah. children are getting 100 uh, yeah. or 100 or more, and then you've got mm. one child who gets 80, uh, that's going to have mm -hmm. quite a profound impact on your average scale score. And it could be the difference between that score being you know, significantly below or not. Um, so mm. there are little things like that. Um, I'm not sure how focused schools are on average scale scores, but it is a measure that's in the public domain. So yeah. it is out there in the public domain. So um, mm. in, in terms of attainment, schools can get children discounted, but the vast majority of children are included in your attainment measures. Um, mm. In terms of the percentages, like percentage achieving expected standards, pretty much everyone is included unless you successfully manage to get a child excluded from data, discounted from data. And that's quite difficult, except for those recent arrivals from overseas. That, that's a, a pretty sort of, usually it's a pretty sort of cut and dry case. Um, so uh, that, that's, that's fine. But it's, it's the progress measures that are really interesting. So if children have certain codes assigned to them, um, like a preachy stage code that attracts a nominal value, but there are other codes, and you mentioned a child who is absent. Sure. That doesn't attract a nominal score, and even mm. though that child will be counted as having not achieved, they will be re they will be included in the attainment measure as not achieved. They won't be included in progress measures. So if they have an A code, absent, mm. yeah. they are removed from progress measures because there's no value assigned to an A. There's yep. no value. Unlike a preachy stage one where there's 79 or 76, there's no, there's no, code, there's, there's, there's no value. Um, D, the D code is one that causes huge confusion. So, yep, absolutely. So D means disapplied. And yep. the problem is that the, the, re, the confusion arises because schools use the word disapplied all the time to mean disapplied from a test. I've yep. disapplied this child from a test. You haven't. You, you haven't actually formally disapplied this. What you've done is you're, you're saying the child is below the standard test, they're preachy stage, whatever. The D code doesn't mean disapplied from tests. It means disapplied from the entire national curriculum. Absolutely. You need That's to be a very that. different thing. <clears throat> yeah. I remember a head teacher mm. of a special school saying it's rare enough in a special school. In a mainstream school, that should be exceptionally rare. Yeah. But it has been done. There have been mm. schools, and I mm. think it's because of confusion uh, over this that they have um, uh, unwittingly they, the D code has been used by schools, and it means that they where and, and they probably should have been assigned a B code and a preachy stage and got a nominal score and been included in pros measures, but they've used a D code, and and uh, and then yeah. and it's not been picked up on, and they've managed to the child is then removed from progress measures.
And that also has an ongoing impact in, in secondary as well. If you've got children it, yeah, it does through, because those... they've got no baseline, so they've got exactly. no scores. Um, hmm. uh, so, I, 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 in fact, it remains to be seen, actually, what happens with Progress 8 and children who mm. don't sit tests. I mean, if they've got an A code or a D code, there's nothing they can do mm. with them. But if they have mm. a pre-key stage assessment, then they have a yep. nominal value. And I assume those nominal values will be used. 79s yeah. and 76s. I assume those nominal values will be used in the baseline for yeah. Progress 8. Sure. So you've talked about the D codes and the U codes, but you've also mentioned the A codes and the B codes. B, well, the B, the B is just uh, you put on the test register to say this child is so the child is listed there and you put a B by their name to mean they're below the standard of the test. And then the system says, right, they've got a B code. So what pre-key stage value are they? Where, where are they? Um, uh, what's their pre-key stage assessment? Because we want one of those um, and we're going to use that in place of a scaled score. Uh, sure. But if you put a D code, it, it doesn't ask for that because you because why should it? Because if they're disapplied from the national curriculum, how can you make a national curriculum assessment? Um, yep. So if you go into the Ready Reckoner, it's, it's really interesting. So you go into the Key Stage 2 tab and it says, what did they get at Key Stage 2? And you put in, they got a scale score of 92 or 103. Most cases you're going mm. to be putting in a score. Sure. If you put in a B code, it will then say, OK, what pre-key stage assessment did they get then? If you put in a D code, a big red box comes up and says, people excluded. If you put uh -huh. in an A code, it says people excluded. If you put in a U code, it says people excluded. And the, even, and the weirdest one is if you put in an F code, it says people excluded. <laughs> and F means people will sit the test in the future. So I have heard of some cases mm -hmm. of this happening. People will sit the test in the future. It basically means that the child has been held back a year. Yep. Okay, so the child's been held back a year. And that, therefore, you would expect that child to be sick the test the following year because the system thinks on the basis of their date of birth that they're in year six, but they're not in year six, they're in year five. And that's happening more and more because children are starting a reception at different ages and then not necessarily starting that um, a statutory age, so they'll be uh, in the year following. Absolutely. So most of the time, mm. this will be used uh, correctly and mm. the child will sit the test the following year and a scale score will be submitted then. But I yeah. have heard of uh, cases mm -hmm. where a school, <laughs> maybe two, have used um, the F code when a child has not been held back a year. Uh, and, yeah. um, and I don't know who chases this up because you would have thought the school would yeah. get contact from the DfE saying, oh, last year you had these children with F code. So I, we look forward to their scores this year. But yeah. it doesn't look like that's happened. Um, and uh, yeah, so I heard, I heard some stories about F code being used. <laughs> okay. And it yeah. means, though, I gather, it means not only is the child excluded from progress measures, but they're excluded from mm -hmm. attainment measures as well. And it is really hard to get mm. children excluded from attainment measures unless they're recent arrivals from overseas. Mm. So okay. mm. um, recent yeah. arrivals from overseas won't be included in progress anyway because they won't have a baseline. But there you go, F codes. Mm. You know, who would have thought? Yeah. And, Exactly, another one. Yeah, yeah. One, yeah. one would have thought that these things are chased up and uh, scrutinised and, and monitored mm. and investigated, but may, maybe they're not, you know? Maybe it's like, yeah. oh, I'll be careful. Maybe it's like digital off-rolling. <laughs> well, there's a whole area for us to consider. Again, 
it's worth if you're listening to this and you're thinking actually yes i'm aware of a few of these things you know get in touch with us let us know because yeah. we'd like to know, you know yeah. what your experience of it is as well so. yeah so it's a it's it's a real uh minefield um the guidance from the dfe is is pretty mm. clear on this if a child can access the test they should do the test even if you know yeah. obviously there's loads of children who enter for tests and aren't going to score 100 but even if they can only get like one or two questions right you know enter for the test give them that chance and it will benefit you in terms of your progress measures. You can't lose anyway, because if they don't score enough marks, they go back down to 79, which is what you would have given them if they didn't sit the test anyway. But there are some codes that I think schools are confused about that may be getting used. Uh, mm. I don't think there are very many cases where it's being used deliberately. I think in mm. most cases it's due to confusion and these codes being registered and schools are uh, benefiting from those children being then excluded from measures who otherwise would have had a pre stage assessment and got a nominal score, and chances are would have got a negative progress score. Well, I hope that that has been useful information for you if you're in school. It gives you a sense of what these codes actually are and how they're used. Things like the F code and what they are. I've written some Who blogs on it, you know, so if anyone wants to uh, read, read the blogs I've written, if anyone's still a bit confused about that, um, you know, and I've read that, wrote that blog about the progress loophole of despair, where uh, it was another case where schools were benefiting from children doing worse on tests than actually <laughs> scoring. Don't, yeah, just sit there. I remember a head teacher saying, so we should just give them a blunt pencil. You know, things, those, those got closed. Those loopholes kind of got, got closed yeah. over the years. But evidently, there mm. are some still uh, kind of little, weird little quirks in the system that, that sure. could be exploited or there's confusion around those. Uh, and uh, that... Excellent. Well, we'll put links to the various blogs in the show notes um, so that people have got access to those so that you can find out a bit more about who's in, who's out and uh, some of the strange anomalies within um, progress measures. So if a school does um, find itself in a position where it does need to disapply a child, a child or discount a child, um, what, do, what should they actually do? What's the process? How do they go about that? So, I mean, to clarify again, um, uh, disapplication obviously refers to disapplication of, of a child from the entire national curriculum. So that let's yeah. put that to one side. Discounting sure. happens during the checking exercise. And sometimes mm. schools will be successful, particularly if it's a child um, who's recently arrived from overseas. Um, but if you are unable to get a child discounted from data, you still are, well, it's, 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 it's still worth trying to remove them, you know, re sorry, re sure. removing them from your data. So uh, there are various yeah. tools that enable you to do this. Now, of course, you, you, you need to understand that if you do this, it's not going to remove them from your official, um, from your IDSR. It's not going to remove them from your official um, uh, performance tables data. That doesn't change, but it is, uh, we use this phrase a lot about uh, you know, arm yourself. It's, mm. it's important that schools know how to remove uh, a child or, or, or children from data so they can create a shadow data set uh, that then shows the impact that, that child has had on their overall data. This is particularly important if a school is significantly below, uh, but they, they may be very close to that threshold. And just mm. removing a single child from data can push that data from being significantly below to being above, you know, and, and that changes mm. the complexion of data. So th what I would advise schools to do is to uh, go into ASP, uh, look at the scatter plots in ASP, ASP, identify those really low, those really uh, low negative scores. And uh, you can just click on the dot, 
shows who the child is. And then you can go into the data management tool in ASP and you can select the key stage, key stage two, uh, and then you can select the child and remove them from the data temporarily. You can put them back in again, remove from the data temporarily, go back into the main measures and see the impact that's had. And it may push your score up quite a bit. Mm. Um, so you definitely worth doing that. I definitely advise schools to do that. If you've got a strong case study and you mentioned a child earlier, you know, that, for example, has had a lot of time yeah. off, uh, mm. for example, then, yes, absolutely. You've got a strong case to do that. Um, mm. It won't affect your official data, but it does provide you with some evidence of the impact of a single child. And then it's not really about whole school standards. It's just that, you know, one or two children have an impact. You can do it in FFT as well. You go into the pupils tab in FFT. Uh, you choose to remove a child, save it, and then you can go back into the reports and it will show you the, the recalculated data. You can do it in my VA calculator. You put, you put the data into the VA calculator uh, for all the children. And then if you've got one child who's got particularly low scores, uh, you just uh, delete their key stage one. Because if you remove the key stage one, they're removed from progress. So you just do that. So there are various yeah. tools available that will enable mm. you to remodel your data and show the impact that these children have. And that might, you know, it's worth putting those into reports, making governors aware of that, um, putting it into your CEF. Uh, yeah. That sort of thing. So, yeah, definitely advise schools to do that. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's good advice for schools to then, as I say, have a good look at, at your data sets. And as yep. you say, um, you can look at creating, as you say, almost a shadow set, which basically says, if we take those people out there. Good. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I hope schools use that advice. And uh, again, if you're listening, if you've um, got any good examples of this you'd like to share with us, then please do. We'd love to hear from you. Time for our regular What Everybody Needs to Know About slot. So this month, we're going to look at what everyone needs to know about quintiles. Yes. Now, in the primary IDSR, um, the Ofsted, they put schools into national quintiles, and those are based on results from foundation stage and phonics and key stage one, key stage two. Yep. And now, that's not anything particularly new, but it, we've removed nearly all of the data from the <laughs> ISBR. Yeah. So now there's a, a big focus on the 20% bands, these quintiles. There um, is. And schools obviously want to see an improvement, but uh, it's a zero-sum game, isn't it? For it every is a zero-sum game. It's absolutely, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. That's, that, that's absolutely right. So, uh, but, I mean, if, we've talked about raise online you know in a, in, in a previous podcast mm -hmm. and uh you know we, we we've gone from this this world of having an, a, a 101 page document packed full of data mm. uh to now having this 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 and obviously asp has got quite a bit of data in it but but offset inspectors focus very much on the idsr and mm. the only data in there is on that back page everything else is narrative the, the focus on that that back page with quintiles so yeah. so now there's this like this, this, this kind of bit of an obsession with yeah. with the quintile you're in, and uh, you know this, I, I, we, we've dropped three quintiles, and and uh, and, yeah. and I, I have already heard stories of of schools that are being challenged on this, you know, by yeah. um, advisors and what have you to, to come round and and challenge mm. them on the fact that they've dropped. Um, mm. Now, often these drops that look quite dramatic are not in any way statistically significant. No, they're just. They, but they look dramatic. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I wrote, wrote some blogs on this recently. So, I mean, it's interesting uh, through the work that we're doing at Insight, that Insight now, as a tracking company, are being contacted uh, by schools saying, uh, um, I've, be, I've been told that I need to know what, what, what quintile we're in. 
Um, so so uh-huh. for their current year groups. And of course, you, you could, in theory, you could do this with standardized tests, didn't you? couldn't you? Because a standardized mm. score is essentially a percentile. Uh, you could take the average standardized score for a cohort or for a particular group, and you could convert that into a percentile. Uh, and you could see, I suppose, where roughly your, that cohort is nationally in terms of yeah. their their standardized score but Mm -hmm. it it worries me that uh people think that there's this uh there's this big difference between being at the sort of 19th and the 20th percentile i think and it's the thing is quintiles are very useful yeah exactly if you're splitting you know data sets into quintiles so five different sections of a bottom to a top and they're fine if the data is reasonably smoothly distributed through yes. the, the, um, the population. Yes. So if you've got a nice smooth distribution, you know, you'd expect, you know, yeah, it kind of makes sense. So, so your bottom end is going to be a first quintile and your top end. Top, and so there's a smooth, I say, but that's not always the case in school data. Well, no. Um, so I, I plotted out, I wrote a blog on this. Uh, I plotted out the uh, progress scores for all primary schools in England. So that's, um, and, and I know that um, FFT have done this with progress eight as well. And you plot out and mm. you get this kind of, um, uh, S-shaped thing on its side, you know, so that sort of, um, yeah. that, that, that chart. Uh, and mm. so you, you plot the, the, the progress score by the percentile rank, um, and mm. you see that basically all of the change is yeah. in the, the, yeah. the bottom few percentiles. In the extremes. So, yeah, in the extremes. It's like the bottom yeah, 5% of... the top 5% is where all the change is. Actually, it's probably more like Absolutely. the bottom 3% and the top 3%. So we've got schools. Exactly. The lowest progress score is about minus 21 now, it's a special mm. school. And then the top progress mm. score is about plus 12, plus 13. Uh, but it yeah. drops really quickly. And in the bottom end, it rises really steeply. And then it levels out. So uh, for, yeah. for, for the 80% of schools, there's really mm. very little change. It's, it's a very flat line. And you can exactly. drop like just, just one point drop in your progress score can have an absolutely enormous impact on what mm. percentile you're at and what quintile you're at. So it, you can quite easily, and of course, because they're not adjusted, mm. they, those progress scores are not really adjusted for the size of the school, they're not taking that into account. A small school, their life mm. is just shifting up and down the quintiles. <laughs> you know, one yep. year they're at the top and then the next year at the bottom. But the point to make is that mm. people are obsessing about this, but often it doesn't really, it looks dramatic, but it's not a very big change, is it? That it's just going to yeah. be just a very small change can lead to a, 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 a quite a what looks like a, a considerable drop down but it's mm. not really a big change in school exactly and that's one of the reasons why we were talking about who's in and who's out within your progress score measures because you know you get have a few in, unusual children in uh, in year six or in year two it can change things quite a lot yeah and it can certainly move you around the quintiles quite a lot yeah one of the other really odd things about the quintiles is that people can find themselves both being above average and below average yeah. Um, so, well, that's because when we talk about the average, exactly. we are not often we're not really talking about the average. Uh, so often we talk about the average. So we'll say the national average is, say, 65 percent achieving the expected standard in reading, writing and maths. That's actually the yeah. overall national figure, isn't it? We've merged yeah. all the schools together into one massive great cohort of 650,000 children and worked out the percentage of children so that's not really, yeah. that's the national figure. It's not really, a, it's, yeah. it's not an average in terms of like the median. But when we're talking about percentiles and, and, and quintiles, we're really, uh, we're, we're talking about the median there. Uh, 
Exactly. You're then you're looking for people, you know, you're putting everybody in, in order of yeah. results rather than looking at the mean. The national mean is a different thing. You know, that's yeah. where you look, get everything together and divide it by total numbers. So then yeah. we get a mean. So and again, I think that in understanding the difference between the mean um, average and the median. Yeah, absolutely. Those, so, those so, so the median, if you take all schools mm. uh, at 15,000 mm. primary schools and rank them in order by mm. the percentage achieving mm. the expected standards in reading, writing and maths, it might mm. be that the uh, median is uh, 70% or 75%, yeah. or it might mm. be that the median is 60%. Um, but mm. it, it's, the, the problem is that what we're often calling the, uh, we're referring to as the average, is not the average in, with reference to that data. That data, the, re- sure. the average is, is the medium, but they're not presenting the medium. A really good no. example of this is, is the, con- the context. When you have a look at the contextual mm. component of the IDSR, they uh, show the percentage, for example, and I did a blog on this, the percentage of children in your school that are um, EAL, percentage of EAL children, or the percentage of physical exactly. meal children. Um, mm. So I, I gave this example that shows the percentage of EAL children in a school, and let's say that the percentage of EAL children in the school is 11%. Um, yeah. And th- then they give the national percentage as 21%. And yet the school mm-hmm. is in like the, the, the top quintile or, or the, second, like the second quintile for its percentage. But I'm way below yeah. national average. And yet yep. I'm in this higher quintile. I'm in this higher. Why is that? And it's because what they're referring to as the national average is not the national average in, in, in terms of that graph. The national mm. average in terms of that graph is the median, but they're not presenting the median. The median in the case yeah. of EAL is 7%. Yeah. Yeah. There are 30% mm. of primary schools have no EAL children. Exactly. And then it Very rises. Few, it starts rise, and then in the last percent, the last quintile, it rises really steeply up to schools that have got pretty much a hundred percent. Yeah, because the distribution isn't smooth, is it? It's you know, not there are smooth. Loads, you say a load of schools that have, you know, that don't have children who speak additional languages. Yes. You've got a group in the middle that have a few, you know, a reasonable percentage, and then there are schools where you know they're up at eighty percent plus of the children. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so, so I often like do governor training, and you'll get some eagle-eyed mm. governor who will see this, and they'll yeah. look, and 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 they're usually yeah. an engineer, um, mm. and they will see the data, and they'll say, well. That's interesting. Why is it then that we've got our our percentage of um, SCN children is way below average, but apparently we're above average? Exactly. And it's recognising that, I said, that we're using averages. Sometimes we're using the median, sometimes we're using the mean. And uh, and it does make Yeah, but it is confusing. I do think that perhaps it would be more useful um, Mm. in in that context, considering we're actually talking about ranking schools in order uh, by Mm. their percentages, would it be more useful, rather than showing this overall national figure, it, it, would it be more useful mm. if they showed the median? Yeah. Uh, well, I, exactly. I, I, and I think it, yeah. yeah. It's causes a lot of confusion. It does definitely cause a lot of confusion, as I say. So it's, it's understanding how the, the quintiles have been, um, have been created um, and that they're not always, you're not always comparing the quintiles to a national mean, which is a different thing yeah. to what the, yeah, the, absolutely. the, the yeah, quintiles are created. But, but, but I mean, the, the, context, the context bit is, causes confusion, but it's not critical mm. uh, because it's mm. not about performance of the school. Um, yeah. It just causes a lot of confusion. It, it's, it's really mm. those, uh, those, those quintiles, shifts in quintile that you see on that back page, which relate to school performance. Uh, yeah. that I, I'm concerned about, that it, particularly if we've got people that are going into schools and saying, oh, you've dropped down three quintiles and that's a disaster. Well, actually, yeah. it's not. 
No, exactly. And that's the thing that is that, you know, with um, standardized scores and scale scores, you know, most of those, they have a, a, a fairly um, normal distribution. So approximately a normal distribution, which is the, the, the bell shaped curve. Whereas things like children, so contextual information doesn't no. necessarily, no. Um, you know, there's no reason for that to follow any kind of normalized curve because, you know, people are distributed throughout the country um, unequally. Yes, you know, absolutely. People, um, absolutely. So therefore, it's understanding that those two differences. Yeah. Good. Well, I hope that that clears up a bit of confusion for people who've been looking at their quintiles and wondering don't obsess why about is it <laughs> exactly that i appear to be doing you know i'm above something but also below something it's yeah. because there's two different measures there yeah. so we hope that that helps Well, that's it for this month. The um, Data Busters podcast is published monthly during the academic year, and it's available on all good podcast outlets, as you'll know, since you're listening to us now. But if you do like what we're doing, then please do recommend us to others. And if you've got any questions, feel free to send in a voice recording um, or to contact us on Twitter, either at Jack underscore Marwood or at Jay Pembroke. Uh, and if you'd like to find more about um, the current data landscape and what you need to know about data, why not join us one of our regular data busting days? So yes. we're, we're starting, aren't we, Jamie? We, 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 we are. We're in, um, we're, in, we're in Boston, Lincolnshire next week. And then we've right. got um, uh, one in Northamptonshire. Uh, exactly. We've got a number of things December. coming through. Yep. And then we and move into the new year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got uh, one in Leicester in January and we've got we're in Liverpool in January as well so we're exactly. starting to get around a bit um, exactly so if you are interested then do get in touch with us um, if you look at databustingforschools.co.uk that's one of the websites we use it's got information in there yeah. um, and come and join us and so we're looking forward to that those will be days and they're days about the things you have to do and the things that you should be doing with your data yeah yeah so I, I, I use the phrase here sort of trying to uh, rationalise your data life you know decluttering data uh trying to uh just trim it back to what you really need to do that actually is useful meaningful uh and getting rid of the stuff that is just a waste of time that maybe you're just doing to keep uh other people happy yeah that's not actually feeding into what you're doing exactly so come along to those things and in the meantime again feel free to get in touch to share your thoughts everybody um, on anything data related and hopefully we'll speak to you next month um, Jamie I hope that you're going to be nice and busy next month we're going to talk about secondary and have a yep. look at progress um, scores there yep looking forward to that excellent so thank you very much for joining us everybody and keep data busting bye and there we go that's us we'll finish there Thank you.